We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host Nick Filato. Today he's coming to you from it looks like either his iPhone camera or his other camera on his desktop. My camera's all screwed up. I don't know what it is. I tried to uh, fix it before this podcast and wipe it down, but nothing seems to be working. So we'll have to figure that one out another time because cameras don't stop for the news. And the Giants had their first training camp padded practice today, Tuesday night. Tuesday evening practice, 5 p.m. We didn't cover this practice or the last one, but we did follow along the action. So where do you want to start, Nick? Anything you took away from these last two practices? I think we should just start with the injury report. And it wasn't anything pertinent other than the J.C. Hour one. J.C. Hour, we discussed, look, I don't think it was an ideal situation to have him make the team, but with the rookie center, you probably want a veteran center in place. And the Giants recently went out and they signed Sean Harlow, who was on the Arizona Cardinals last year. Has played guard, has played center. Still, ideally, I don't think the Giants want him to win a roster spot. I think they want Ben Bredesen to be that backup center if Josh Zudu ends up securing a left guard spot. We'll get into the offensive line stuff, but JC Hassenauer has a tricep injury. He is done for the year right now. And then we have similar people who were on the pup rumors. They might come off soon, like Marcus McKethan and Ashawn Robinson, hopefully, but still DJ Davidson, Aaron Robinson, Wondell Robinson are also on the physically unable to perform list. And also Sterling Shepard, Jihad Ward, and Ryan Jones did not practice as well on Monday. Yeah, they missed Monday's practice. And you're hoping to get both Aaron Robinson and Wando Robinson back in the mix sooner than later to kind of see where they're at and where they shake out in the depth chart. Ajon Robinson, I feel like his spot is kind of secured. McKethan's an interesting one just because you've seen so many different offensive line variations throughout training camp. They've really mixed it up, which I think was interesting. We saw a different variation in Monday's practice and a different variation in Tuesday's practice with the first and second team offensive lines. This has been pretty fluent throughout camp. According to uh, Tej BF. Tej FB at Football Analytics, um, Tej Seth on Twitter, he said one of the most impressive things about Dable and the Giants in 2022 was that they had the league most 20 different offensive line combinations, play at least five snaps last season, and no combination played more than 40 snaps together, and they still ranked top 10 in EPA per play and won a playoff game. And I think it's interesting to note that they did have those 20 different offensive line combinations in 2022. No one really played together that much. 40% of the snaps is the tops there. And we're seeing something similar already so far in camp with Brian Dable kind of mixing and matching along the offensive line. They've been mixing and matching since they got here, Dan. And we applaud Brian Dable, rightfully so, because he also picked Bobby Johnson. I think Bobby Johnson deserves much of the credit here. 
something that we saw at the end of the season last year against the Indianapolis Colts. Hey, DeForest Buckner, what are we going to do? We don't really want to block him one-on-one. Let's just put Daniel Bellinger on the backside to cut him so then we can have our offensive lineman climb to the second level. We've seen a lot of creative implementation of different types of blocking schemes to maximize the rushing attack. I'm not overly surprised that the Giants had all of these different all these different starting combinations last year. And when I was thinking about it, I was like, damn, did we really have that many injuries? But you think Evan Neal went down and then John Feliciano ended up missing a game. You had the left guard spot, which was just Josh Azudu, Ben Bredesen, just people cycling in. It was just Andrew Thomas knocking on wood, who was the mainstay at left tackle. And then Mark Lewinsky at right tackle. But there were a lot of other players that ended up playing. I really think Bobby Johnson has done a phenomenal job since he came over here from Buffalo and deserves the utmost respect. And Brian Dable won coach of the year. So we already know he has received that. Yep, without a doubt. And we're starting to see some developments along the depth chart that are interesting in Monday's practice and in Tuesday's practice, Tuesday being the first full padded practice. John Michael Schmitz was the first team center, and that's three practices in a row for JMS. Maybe that's a turning point in this preseason training camp period where he kind of can take over and win down that job. Similar things going on at safety with Jason Pinnock playing as the starting safety uh, alongside Xavier McKinney, not Bobby McCain, for now three straight practices. We also saw an interesting development at the cornerback position with uh, Cordell Flott starting to get the starting slot uh, role for three straight days. Darnay Holmes moved all the way down to the third team. Bobby McCain is actually playing as the second team nickel right now. And then they have McLeod and Belton as the second team safeties alongside Bobby McCain, or at least that was the case at Monday's practice. But we've also had Trey Hawkins start to move up a little bit. The rookie out of Old Dominion, six-round pick. He's now gotten some first-team reps, continues to impress both Monday's practice and then in Tuesday's padded practice. Another good day for Trey Hawkins, who has a ton of different PBUs. We'll talk a little bit more about him later. But those are kind of the developments right now on the depth chart uh, as we're moving forward. Anything interesting from there for you? Trying to go through the last couple of years and players who ended up really outperforming the early parts of training camp like Colin Johnson last year. He ended up getting hurt. Rodarius Williams, remember him in year one when he was a rookie in 2020? He ended up getting hurt, or 2021, I'm sorry. He ended up getting hurt as well. Trey Hawkins, watching him, and these are one-on-ones, I get it, but it takes a lot of a lot of fortitude to own a moment when you're a day three pick coming in and stepping up and consistently, and I know it's early in training camp, but still consistently rising to the occasion and answering the bell. And now he's actually receiving some first team reps. That's what we said a couple of days ago, right? Then we wanted him to have these first team reps. So he does this against Darren Waller and Darius Slayton. He's losing some reps, but he's gaining valuable experience. If you look on Twitter, I just feel like all throughout my timeline, there are different plays of Trey Hawkins putting himself into position to succeed. And even on the plays where he is quote unquote beat, the coverage is pretty damn good. It was just a perfect throw by Daniel Jones or Tyrod Taylor, and then a nice catch by the by the receiver along the sidelines. He's got a really steady drum beat, and it's building and building and building louder. Similar to Colin Johnson's last year, we didn't get to see where that would end up last year because Colin Johnson, unfortunately, had that injury. But with Trey Hawkins, so long as he could stay healthy, we're going to get to see where that drum beat leads to. And we're get, we're going to get to see like how just how big he can build that thing and what kind of playing time he can actually get as a rookie in year one. Because as Brian Dable said, and we'll touch on some of the quotes from the coaches later, but as Dable said at some point in the last two days, you know, we're going to give this, he's earned it. We're going to give him opportunities. And we know from last year, and you've gone over this a bunch, Nick, this is not a coaching staff that likes to lean on salaries, that likes to lean on draft capital, that likes to lean on inherited positions and depth chart statements. They lean on who's playing well. They lean on the production. They lean on who's practicing well. They lean on who's taking well to the technique and the coaching. 
And it doesn't really matter where you came from, where you were drafted or who you are. You're going to play if you're the best player in their mind. And if you're performing like the best player in practice, and right now, Trey Hawkins is playing like one of his best cornerbacks on the roster. So what is Brian Dable doing? He's giving him these first team reps. He's making plays in coverage against players like Darius Lane. I think he had one uh, today. Maybe it was against Isaiah Hodgins on a deep ball. Um, mm-hmm. And that's Tuesday's practice today, the first padded practice. So really interesting to just see that be the guy so far. He has been by far and away the biggest surprise of training camp and not only the biggest surprise, but the biggest riser without a doubt. So we're going to follow that along and see where that goes, especially because the Giants really need to have someone step up at corner, in my opinion. Yes, I feel comfortable with the Dory Jackson, but Deontay Banks, both you and I believe there's a non-zero chance he struggles for the majority of his rookie season. That's just the reality of playing corner in the NFL. Not everyone's going to have Patrick Sertan's technique. Not everyone's going to have Sauce Gardner's length and just dominance, like straight up great ability to play the position. Some of these corners, most of these corners that aren't drafted inside the top five, and even some that are drafted inside the top 10, like, you know, CJ, what was the kid from Florida, from Jacksonville a few years ago from Florida? Um, CJ Henderson, CJ Henderson, even JC Horns had his struggles. Like it's a very tough position to translate to into the NFL. So, so if you're getting production somewhere, like the giants are getting right now with Trey Hawkins, why not give him some reps? He's earned it at this point for what he's put out there. Like we've said, meritocracy. If you look at some of the PBUs he had in today's practice, the padded practice, he had the one acrobatic catch attempt by Isaiah Hodgins that ended up going out of bounds, and ultimately Hodgins couldn't secure the ball through the contact that Hawkins put on him. But he had two other passes defended according to in, in team periods as well. This isn't just one-on-ones, according to John Schmelk. So these are these are several plays where he's probably opening the coaching staff's eyes and Jerome Henderson is vocalizing in these rooms. Cause after every practice, the coaches meet and he's probably like, Trey Hawkins, the third is, is really earning, earning first team reps. And maybe we should give him some more. And at this point, man, it's, it's great because if something does happen to Adore Jackson or Deontay Banks, maybe you possibly found a player on day three who can actually give you valuable reps and not just be an absolute shit show for you. That's something to be uh, proud of. If I was the young man. Without a doubt. I want to talk a little bit about Daniel Jones, who has, by all accounts, been more comfortable, more confident, and more productive so far in this year's training camp than he was last year. I think we've seen some of the videos that have circulated from Monday's practice, which I think was his best practice. Again, not a padded practice, and maybe it wasn't as crisp and smooth during the first padded practice as to be expected. But in Monday's practice, before this last one, he went 6 of 6 in the team period, and some of the passes he threw, Nick, were really impressive at least given the video that we've seen the sideline throw on the out on, you know, the outbreaking route, the Jalen Hyatt. I mean, he threaded that ball into a tight window in between coverage and with anticipation. That's basically exactly what we want to see from him in the game. He also had a throw to Paris Campbell that went for a touchdown where he basically put the ball exactly where I want quarterbacks to put it every single time over the outstretched outside shoulder of the wide receiver. It makes it really, really difficult. And you could even see if you rewatch that video, it makes it really difficult for the defender, no matter how good the coverage is in that spot. And we've seen that be the case for Joe Burrow. Big part of his early success is that he's really good at throwing those outside shoulder balls on, you know, either vertical passes uh, to the outside and outside the numbers. And if Daniel Jones can start to get that ball based ball placement down, because you could see it, it's a heavy ball. The velocity was great on both the throws I'm talking about. And more importantly to me, at least the ball placement was really pinpoint on both of those throws. The throw to Jalen Hyatt was beautiful. The play in general was beautiful. We didn't get a lot of pass rush. So maybe that's the one thing about the play that you can be like, oh, well, what the hell was Dexter Lawrence on that one? The throw, the coverage and the catch by Jalen Hyatt were all stunning. 
the throw was, like you said, pinpoint accuracy. Xavier McKinney was right there to knock it away, but the velocity of Daniel Jones's pass just disallowed him from doing that. And then Jalen Hyatt had the concentration and the soft hands to secure that, get both feet and downs. And you can even see if you slow it down, he's dragging that back foot before he even catches the football. That's some awareness right there. This is the first time Jalen Hyatt has to get both of his feet in bounds because in college, all you need is one. He's already privy to the fact that, Hey, I can do this. I can do the toe drag swag. Make Burleson really proud of me. And I'm happy that he was able to secure that. And then you're right with the Paris Campbell one, just the touch. That's what I'm most impressed about because he's putting touch. We talked about it on the last podcast with the Darius Slayton throw where Darius Slayton had, I think Deontay Banks and Xavier McKinney on him. And somehow Daniel Jones put it right in the bucket. Daniel Jones is putting in the bucket. He's zipping it with velocity and the accuracy is so much more improved. Now he's not getting hit. So can he carry that when can he continue to do that when people are bearing down on him and then he's taking hits that's remains to be seen. We're gonna have to wait and see, but as of right now, I'm impressed from what we've saw from Daniel Jones, even though I know this padded practice was a little bit more from my understanding, a win for the defense. Yeah, a little bit more. We'll go over that in a little bit. He was six of 11 in the padded practice, but I uh, believe three or two of those uh, six Two of those six passes were, would would be sacks. I think one of the key thing factors you miss when you don't do these, uh, you know, in padded practice or non-padded practice, either way in training camp, is just, you know, do you have the balance base to throw from, and can you find a land? Can you find a landmark to make the throw from? In practice, I think it's a lot easier than in the game when there's five defensive linemen, you know, or four defensive linemen pushing back the offensive linemen and really creating less of space and fewer landmarks for the quarterback to find to make the throw. Even, you know, on that throw to um, Jalen Hyatt on the outside, it looked like he had a little bit of time to find his lamp, to find a different landmark and make that throw. These things are going to happen a little bit more in practice, but it's still impressive the ball placement and the velocity on these throws. And more importantly to me, the anticipatory, the anticipation patient on both of those throws specifically that impressed me. And I want to talk about Jalen Hyatt too, because we discussed, you know, Trey Hawkins and how he's moved up that chart. How about Jalen Hyatt? Because it's still, yeah, I know he's an, he's a, he's a higher capital pick third round, but he's moved up the je- a tough depth chart to move up to. It's a crowded depth chart at wide receiver and he's getting first team reps. We talked about the play he made with Daniel Jones. I thought two of the most impressive things I've seen from Hyatt weren't even that play. I mean, that was very impressive. You brought it up. Great. He secured the catch through, through the contact point. He drug, dragged his toes to get him in bounds. But some of the plays he's making just in the one-on-one drills, there was a clip that went out of him from Monday's practice where it looked like it was the clip was in sped, sped up at like 1.5 speed. He was running so fast. And I still don't know if that clip was doctored or not. It looked He looked so fast. And I watched a move, and I know this is a lot more difficult for the defensive back. It was a one-on-one from Tuesday's practice where he makes an in-breaker and just creates so much separation when he gets to the top of his route and breaks from, you know, stemming the vertical into breaking across the middle. And that's something we saw a lot at Tennessee. He ran deep overs and he ran those in-breaker routes and in intermediate to deep halves of the field really well. And he created a lot of separation on them. He is legitimately fast. Like we talked, we did a whole podcast the other day, 11 minute show on just his speed and what it means to have 24 miles per hour type speed. It shows up. It's game speed. It's clock speed. It's film speed. It's whatever you want to call it. It's all three things above. And I'm excited, really. I'm starting to get really excited about what Hyatt can be because I'm now starting to think, Nick, that he actually can play a lot more snaps than I originally expected given how crowded the depth chart is. Exactly. And we don't have to rely on him, as we've said. So if he does hit a hiccup, a speed bump, and he doesn't really progress like we are hoping and like we're kind of seeing right now, the Giants have the depth around to put other players there to not throw them to the fire. But already in camp, it seems to me and seems to you and seems to anybody with eyes that the Giants might have hit a home run here. Putting the cart before the horse, maybe just a tad bit, but he is showing more than what we expected. What did Brian Dable say when the Giants drafted Jalen Hyatt? 
they said, or he said, and Joe Shane, he ran routes in Josh Heupel's offense that could be implemented here with the New York Giants, that they run the same routes that they want to run here with the New York Giants. And a lot of those are those deep overs. A lot of those are those vertical. We're going to do a rocker step. We're going to stem one way and then explode out. And what does Jalen Hyatt have other than speed? It's also the short area quickness, which is something that we're seeing in these little clips. Accelerate 15 yards down the field. You have a safety who has inside leverage and he wants to create some space to the inside or outside leverage. I'm sorry. He wants to create some space to the outside. He can hit him with just a hard outside jab foot and then just cut right back to the quarterback on a nice little curl route on a third and long and, and create that space because those defensive backs are going to have to play over top. They're not going to be playing a lot of trail technique with a uh, middle of the field safety, even if it's inside of the divider line, which is a, a whole thing because that safety from the middle of the field is going to have so much pressure to get over the top. They're going to have to throw right. that safety from the middle of the field over the top. Now, if it's a middle of the field open and it's too high, then maybe they'll try to do that trail technique and then they'll cloud cover them. That's something that we see all the time with really good wide receivers. But if we're talking about that with Jalen Hyde, if he actually reaches that, which he's not there yet, you have Saquon Barkley, you have Darren Waller, you have Paris Campbell, you have all of these other options that the defense is now going to be vulnerable to because you're paying attention to Jalen Hyatt. And that's what speed does. And if he could do more than just be a speed and explosive receiver, you're talking about a complete receiver. Giants got him on in round three. That's a home run. Yeah. And we'll see if he can reach that level. But at the very least, if he's making his way up the depth chart, it gives me confidence that he can have a role. And again, we talked about this on the last podcast, um, which we have up on the, on the feed, which is just a uh, title. I think Jalen Hyatt is he the fastest giant already. And it's just what that speed can do for you schematically, because like you mentioned, it's going to change how the safeties align. It's going to change how the corners align. And it's going to open up other sp more space in the field for your Darren Wallers, for your Saquon Barkleys. And we saw Barkley have a few big plays in the passing game as well during Tuesday's practice. So very interesting stuff there. The entire wide receiver depth chart really has been making plays throughout camp. And one player who was back and returned for Monday's practice was Jamison Crowder, a forgotten man, but made a really nice one-handed snag and kind of showed like, Giants, I like kind of really love what they did this offseason at wide receiver. They brought in a lot of players who people have just kind of ruled out for whatever reason. Jason Jamison Crowder, Cole Beasley, even Paris Campbell to an extent um, didn't receive much of an interest on the market. And yet these are all professional receivers with production at the NFL level. So while I can see why some teams are like, you know what, let me take the risk on, I don't know reviving a Hakeem Butler or something who's like a younger player who has no I'm not making fun of that like some people no, are I playing know. more of a long-term game name. that's a name though right there yeah yeah it's a name some people are playing more of a long-term game here and I'm actually applauding the Giants for playing more of a short-term game because they needed to play a short-term game after what happened and what went down at receiver last year they got very very lucky that Isaiah Hodgins was able to come along and immediately play and not have to take a few weeks to learn the system and not have terrible rapport that leads to interceptions because he was just thrown right into the fire. They got lucky with that because if that wasn't available to them, I don't even know who would have been playing. We probably would have had another 60, 70, 100 routes from David Sills. And when you have David Sills in the field, you're not going to move the ball consistently in the past game. No offense to David Sills. I hate to say it. He's very good in camp. He's probably a good guy, but he's not someone who can, can keep your passing game consistent. And I would rather... 10 out of 10 times of Jamison Crowder or Cole Bleasley or guys who can get open and create space and separation in the short and intermediate areas and understand just the nuances of playing the position because they've had so many reps against NFL corners than those types than the David Sills types or whatever you're barreling down the depth chart to find. Even guys who are younger, you may feel like, and I hate to say it, like a Bryce Ford Wheaton, for example, who we think has some upside, right? He's shown some flashes. 
but you can't feel confident having him on the field right away that he won't make a mental error that could lead to a turnover or something bad. You can feel that confidence when you have Crowder or Cole Beasley or Paris Campbell on the field. And I'm, and I'm very excited just about all these additions they made at receivers from an insurance policy standpoint. It makes sense, right? Joe Shane and Brian Dable, they're looking for smart receivers and tends to be smarter receivers or receivers who have more reps under their belt and more experience. And that's going to lend you to a Jamison Crowder and a Cole Beasley rather than a Bryce Ford Wheaton. Cause as you said, Bryce Ford Wheaton can make a dumb mistake. And then that's going to really freaking infuriate Brian Dable. So that from a logic standpoint tracks. And I think there are times you can make the case where you should, it is better to play it more long-term. And in general, I like the long-term approach better or best. But right now, with where the Giants are at, they're t- trying to take this step to becoming a Super Bowl contender. And they need to make sure that Daniel Jones has some weapons at all times, no matter what the injury situation may be. And this is giving them that insurance. And I feel a lot more confident, again, with those types of players in the field. We also saw a couple more things from Monday's practice that I liked. One was the return. And this actually happened in Sunday's practice. We covered it. And then it came back again in Monday. They're starting to mix it in a lot more of the pony package. And Sunday, it was Barkley and Brita. On Monday, we saw Barkley and Eric Gray on the field together for a Daniel Jones rep, which I thought was really interesting to see. We had Gray in the backfield, Barkley motion out to the slot, and then it was a design pass for Barkley, who's starting to, in, in both Monday and Tuesday's padded practice, get a lot more involved in the passing game. Something he said he wanted to work on in the offseason. It's something he said he's lost nine pounds to try to get back that 2018-level speed. Maybe that can help him impact uh, make impact the game as a space player, as a receiver. I'm hoping so, but I just like the idea of getting both of those types of players on the field at once. Same. The Giants had a lot of success with Pony last year. And Eric Gray is a different type of player, different type of athlete than Matt Breida, but there's still a lot of utility that can be had with both of those guys out on the field. Yeah, without a doubt. And like the full house package that the Giants used with Gary Brightwell. Remember uh, with Daniel Jones and the shotgun, yep. and he had two running backs or three running backs out there at once. I think it was like 31 personnel at one point. And they're starting to run like wing T type of concept. Yeah. I feel like I'm back in freaking high school, but just to have that in your arsenal can assist you in certain situations, depending on how the defense is playing you. Right. And there's so much eye candy on a play like that, like the full ass play you're referring to with Brita and with Barkley. It's like, where are the defender's eyes going? Well, they're not going to Brightwell. And so you just run Brightwell up the A gap and it was like a 14 yeah. yard game. It was like a free 14 yards, like a free square. I can't tell you how many times, you know, Nick, but just watching the film last year where we saw free square plays for the Giants. I mean, that off that that system, that play calling, Mike Kafka, Brian Dable, they created so much free yardage, not just in the red zone. That was another example outside of the red zone. And to me, that's where you really see the difference in coaching because you can say the players play and the coaches coach, but I don't know, man. Jason Garrett wasn't getting me getting us free square first downs like that on a consistent basis. And I just don't know, no offense to like Brightwell on that, but like to be honest, Nick, I think you could put in like 99% of the NFL running backs and they were going to get 10 to 15 yards on that on that hole. It was just a beautiful design right up the A-gap where no one was expecting the ball to go and it was free yards for 10 to 15 yards. And just exciting stuff to see, just knowing that this coaching staff is created enough to get three backs on the field at once or two backs on the field at once and different things of that nature. I'm really, I mean, we've talked about it a lot, but I'm excited just to see how much 11 personnel do the Giants play this year? You know, right. how much 12 personnel, how much 21 personnel they're going to be really creative with how they, cause now they have options last year. They didn't really necessarily have options. And a lot of it came down to receivers. Still, they ran 11 personnel, like 71% of the time, because you're more than likely going to play 11 personnel, unless you're like the Baltimore Ravens under Greg Roman, who ran 21 personnel and 12 personnel a ton. But now 
with these receivers they have with Darren Waller, with Daniel Bellinger, with Lawrence Cager, with Matt Breida, with Eric Gray, with Saquon Barkley, you can get really creative with how you do this. And I'm sure we're going to see a ton of creativity specifically when the Giants are in the red zone, like we did last season. Let's talk about some of the one-on-one stuff we saw from practice today uh, during Tuesday's practice, Nick, because again, pads come on for the first time and that means one-on-one reps with the D with the D line versus the O line, the trench players and shout out to uh giant, a giant fan podcast. I think it's what it's called. I'm sorry for mispronouncing this. I will look it up after and correct it for the next pod. Uh, but whoever you are taking all these videos from practice, it's, they've been great, uh, great help for, for Nick and I and anyone following along. And I it's one the of the giant videos. take podcast, the giant take podcast, shout out giant take podcast. And yeah. one of the videos was funny. I think it was the one where, um, Jones moved to his right and tried to hit Hodgins downfield and Hawkins made a play on the ball is out of bounds right before he took that video. You saw like a worker for the giants, like just like walking back and forth in the stand saying no videos, please. No videos, please. It's just like totally disregarded by the pot, by these guys. And I love it because well, why not? No video. Like, what are we, what are you going to do about it? First of all. And second of all, just, just, don't even worry about it. Giants. Like you guys have so much film out there. Like worry about the film out there. Don't worry about the practice stuff. Uh, but I just thought that was funny, but, I'll go over a little recap from our boy, John Schmelk of what he saw during the one-on-ones, Nick. And then I can ask you what you saw for the reps that you did get to see uh, from that podcast. Who obviously dropped a lot of videos. And I know uh, shout out talking giants, dropped some videos as well. And the giants Twitter account as well um, dropped some videos. So according to Schmelk from his, from what he saw, he said from the sideline, Andrew Thomas picked up right where he left off winning both his reps. Evan Neal had a strong rep on the first snap. I believe that one was against Aziz Ojolari, riding the pass rusher up the field and around the quarterback to counter the speed rush. Ben Bredesen had two excellent reps when he took his turn at center, getting his hands inside, stalemating a defensive tackle. Leonard Williams sewed off his pass rushing prowess, twice using his hands to free himself from the guard to get to the quarterback. John Azud- Josh Azudu won his first rep. Tom and Fox had the best pass rush of practice, according to Schmelk, using length on a bull rush and eventually pushing down to the ground. What were your thoughts on what you saw from the one-on-ones, Nick? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So first off, Dexter Lawrence pushing John Michael Schmitz back. That's to be expected. Dexter Lawrence is very strong and there aren't a lot of centers who are going to line up one-on-one with no guard on either side of them. Like we talk about on defense, the defensive backs are at a disadvantage going up against wide receivers in one-on-one. It's the opposite. The defense is at an advantage 
in the trenches because usually an offensive lineman has a guard or a tackle to their left or to their right that they can guide Dexter Lawrence into. When it's just Dexter Lawrence up against the center or a guard, that's a very difficult assignment. I love the fact that John Michael Schmitz is put to that assignment because now he can translate the ass kicking that he's going to take in practice against Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence to the field on Sunday that much more better off. But I'm not shocked that John Michael Schmitz is getting pushed back. And honestly, it's not even as bad as I feel like it could have been against a guy like Dexter Lawrence. But one more one-on-one in terms of the trenches, Josh Azudu against Leonard Williams. It was a pretty cool rep because Josh Azudu, man, like he gets pushed back a little bit by the strength, but you see him anchored down. But Leonard yeah. Williams is very crafty. He's a very crafty type of player. We also saw that against Mark Lewinsky where he hit him with a push pull and then arm over swim and just completely shed Mark Lewinsky in a one-on-one, but against Josh Azudu, and I don't have the video up in front of me, but from my memory, Josh Azudu handled the power. Okay. Pushed back a little bit, but so quick, Leonard Williams employed the rip move, lifted up his center of gravity. And what that does is now Josh Azudu is going to try and position himself to cut off Leonard Williams from bending around the edge, right? Because we see that. We see the rip move whenever a defensive lineman or an edge rusher employs a rip move. They're going to win around the edge. Josh Azuda was in a vulnerable and a compromised position. Leonard Williams knew that he was going to overcorrect to the outside to compensate. And then Leonard Williams threw an inside spin and ended up just got away from him and then went into the pocket. And it was a really nice move by Leonard Williams. But it really got me to think, look, Leonard Williams beating Josh Azuda in a one-on-one, it's not an indictment on Josh Azuda, nor is it something excellent about Leonard Williams, but we have a lot of tape to evaluate Leonard Williams. And we've seen very good Leonard Williams when he is healthy. I wonder, since Dexter Lawrence unlocked a different level of play last year with Andre Patterson, what was the primary reason why, Dan? It was because he understood now how to really leverage his hands. What if we get a Leonard Williams who really understands how to leverage his hands better than he already did? And now you have Leonard and Dexter playing next to each other optimized, maximized by Andre Patterson. Yeah, that, I think you nailed it, Nick. There's a lot of discussion about you know, what can Darren Waller do for the offense? What can Paris Campbell, Jalen Hyatt do for Daniel Jones in the offense? What could Evan Neal taking a step forward do for the offense? What can Deontay Banks do for the defense? Not enough is being discussed at what Leonard Williams can do for this defense overall and then the team overall as far as wins and losses go. I think there's a clear path to him making an impact on them winning more games than literally anyone I just mentioned with the exception of maybe Darren Waller. And the reason being because Leonard Williams has played at an elite level before. Leonard Williams has never played next to this version of Dexter Lawrence. Like you said, he's never been fully healthy for a season with Patterson. He's never been fully healthy for a Wink Martindale season. He played through a horrible injury last year. It was a debilitating stinger. He somehow gutted it through and played a shit ton of games for the Giants last year. But in my guesstimation, given how bad that injury was and at times how it looked on tape, he probably shouldn't have been playing at all. And he just did it because he's a tough SOB and they were in a playoff chase. But now, hopefully, that's behind him. And if it is, there's a level they can get to on defense that wasn't seen last year because Leonard Williams, forget the salary he makes this year. I don't care. That was a Dave Gettleman issue. He (laughs) backloaded the hell out of the contract. Just putting that aside, since that's over with and the Giants are under the gap and ready to go for the season, and none of these salaries matter at this point because it only mattered for offseason planning, at least not for this year, right? Like, you want to worry about cap situations down the line i understand that but for now he's under contract he's here and in my opinion he has highest up one of the highest upsides to take a jump help this team take a jump of anyone on this roster if he can stay healthy for the reasons you went over um i'm very excited to see him and speaking of some of those other reps that we went over i thought it was a good rep by evan neal a solid rep by evan neal the one that we didn't go over nick that was disappointing to see for me and i think it was the same pod uh what was the name just a giant fan or just a giant sorry one more time 
It is a, a Giants take pod. The Giants, take, Giants pod. take pod. And sorry about that, Giants take pod. I appreciate you guys. Um, and, and and I'll get that right. Giants take pod. But I think it was a, a clip they put up. But did you see Matt Parrott against O'Shane? That was not a good rep for Parrott. I saw it, yes. It was not a great rep for Parrott. I'm not evaluating Parrott from the mindset that the Giants are going to have to rely on it. Because yeah. if the Giants have to rely on Matt Parrott, and I'm not being mean here, I'm just going to be honest, the Giants are probably screwed. I don't think I he's going to be it's over for Parrott, unfortunately. Like, if at this point in his career, he's losing in the, the way he lost on that rep still, it's just like, where are we at here? What's the upside anymore? Are we just looking at someone who looks the part at this point? And I think, unfortunately, for Parrott, we are getting to the point where we're we're almost close to closing that door and saying he just looks the part. And he does look the part. That's the sad part about the situation. And the crazy thing, you brought this up like a few months ago, Nick, or like a month ago. Like, remember that Washington game during his rookie season? Like, it looked like the Giants had something. He was great in the run game that game. And he moves so well. And he's still wide-bodied and big. Wide-bodied, long. Like, he has everything you want from a tackle. Uh, especially somebody who can help in the run game. But unfortunately, the pass game just has not improved from a technical standpoint. Jeez, I wish O'Shane Zimenez actually played like that, though, on Sunday. I think O'Shane Zimenez is a fine player, but he's not really a pass rusher as much as I feel like Giant fans want him to be. I think he's just kind of a guy who is athletic, who can drop into coverage and who can rush the passer somewhat and is okay on stunts because he has lateral agility. But he really dominated Matt Parrott on that one rep. But the Offensive lineman I was paying attention to, who's Andrew Thomas, was basically dominant the entire time. Is yeah. Evan Neal? And Evan Neal, from what I understand, had some good reps, had some bad reps. The reps I saw, they they weren't excellent. He struggled with speed around his edge against Aziz Ojolari. He had one rep where he got beat inside by Kayvon Thibodeau. Excellent timing by Kayvon Thibodeau on that play because Evan Neal kind of oversat a little bit and then stabbed with his inside arm. And right as he goes to stab, Kayvon Thibodeau hit like grabbed the wrist of Evan Neal and just went inside. And Evan Neal was able to recover a little bit. But if that was a one-on-one -on -one situation in a game on Sunday and there was no guard to help Evan Neal, say if they slid protection for whatever reason, depending on the defensive front, Kayvon Thibodeau would have sacked the quarterback there. So I want to see a little bit better play from Evan Neal. And I know it's early still, but you know a lot of Giant fans are a little bit nervous about the right tackle. As they should be because it's a big – it's the most important position right now on this roster outside of quarterback, I think for their fortunes and how they're going to improve as a team. If, if they're going to improve as a team in 2023, I want to flip it from the Matt Parrott side to another player on the opposite end of the roster, but also in my opinion, in that range, probably a lot more likely to make the roster, but maybe the question is, can he make a bigger impact than we hope? And it's Toman Fox, who according to Schmelk had the best pass rush of the one-on-ones and We've talked a lot this offseason about the, one of the low-key problem areas or things that we're concerned about is do the Giants have any kind of presence at all at edge three? Because we know Aziz Ojolari has an injury history. We kind of need a rotation regardless here. Every team knows a rotation. What's going to happen at edge three? Can anyone step up? Are you even are you getting a little bit more confident that maybe Fox can step up as more of a pass rusher in year two? I want to see it. I wasn't at practice, but this is his second year. I felt like he had some solid reps last season. He wasn't a disaster when he was put out there. This is a UDFA. I actually liked his college tape. I felt like he had more pass rushing moves than a lot of players who end up not getting selected in the draft. Not to mention he was wildly productive at North Carolina. He also almost took a Jacksonville Jags head off last season near the sidelines. So you're talking about somebody who is very physical. Remember that when Wink Martindale would align him on the sidelines? Oh, I do remember that play. Yeah. I, he also had a play like that. Maybe it was preseason on the, on the, on against the Jets, right? yeah, I think against the Jets. I think I'm not. I'm not 100 sure. They use them as like a safety and just have them flying down into the box. 
my point is he's very physical. And when yeah. you're a very physical player, you're, you might see some snaps, especially if you have some craft in how you rush the passer, which I do believe he, he at least possesses some ability in that area. So maybe he can grow. And you know what? There's an opportunity for him to become the third edge on this team. Jihad Ward, a little bit of a separate type of situation, but third pass rusher. Like he could usurp O'Shane Zimenez. That wouldn't surprise any Giant fans, right? So, hey, seize the opportunity. I'm glad to see that Schmelke is giving him his uh, honor for having the best pass rush. I wish I just saw it. I, don't, I guess they didn't get it on camera. I want to talk about a few players in the secondary right now, Nick. And we'll talk about two players who made plays during Tuesday's padded practice. Before we do that, I want to talk about a player who made a play uh, that we didn't really get into too much depth about from Sunday's practice and now has started three consecutive days as the, as, as a starting safety is Jason Pinnock. And I thought something interesting about Pinnock was after he made that interception. And by the way, I mean, who, if everyone hasn't seen that video, go look it up. It's one of the best interceptions I've ever seen. He's one handed stabbed the ball out of the air uh, on a pass intended for Darren Waller. It's incredibly athletic play. He kind of made that play Nick and then looked over and he said, I'm joking. And I was joking, but you know, behind every joke, there's some truth, Nick. And he said to Wink Martindale, I guess I'm only a blitzer, huh? Like, you know what I mean? Like, kind of like, and he's, and he's joking about it. He's like, look, everybody has a role on this team. We found a role for me in year one. It was as the blitzing safety. But in my mind, he said, I believe I can play all three areas of the field. And he said, I used to be a corner. So I believe I have the coverage kills, skills of a corner. And the athleticism is quite clearly there. I'm starting to think like Jason Pinnock may be a much different player for the Giants in usage and how he can impact the game. Because you're right. I mean, he's not. I'm not saying you're right because you didn't say it's Nick, but he's kind of right. Like he was used mostly as that driver downhill into the box for the most part last year as a blitzing type safety and somebody who's going to crash the line of scrimmage. But drop him in coverage and I don't know, maybe he'll make a one-handed interception or maybe he'll have the coverage ability to kind of flip his hips and get back involved in the play. I'm starting to get a little bit excited about Pinnock. And I kind of, at first I was kind of like, okay, maybe it's Nick McLeod who offers the most upside as a Julian Lover placement. Maybe they'll rotate guys. Maybe it's just Bobby McCain because he's the veteran who's done it before. But I think the highest upside path for the Giants right now at that second safety spot is actually Jason Pinnock by a large margin. And I'm starting to get me excited about the possibility of him running away with this role as he's now had three straight days starting with the ones. I still think there'll be a platoon, but there has to be a starter. Jason Pinnock fits the bill. And guess how old he is? Something we haven't really brought up. Dude's 24 years old. Yep. Something else I did not realize about Jason Pinnock, and I think it does translate to the film. His 10-yard split for safeties, 98th percentile. A 1-4-6-second 10-yard split at Six foot, two hundred like spritz, like splitting him. <laughs> yes, exactly. He has eighty seventh percentile length, eighty first percentile arm length, four four nine forty, which was solid. That's fine. Vertical jump just under forty inches. Broad jump one hundred twenty eight inches. You're talking about a pretty damn good test. An elite athlete. Yeah, went to pit. You know, Pitt has a lot of these type of cornerbacks, guys like Damar Hanlon come into the league and, and they're just good football players. Like Narduzzi does a really good job preparing his defense and they're very aggressive as well. And that's one reason why Wink Martindale probably was like, wait, Jason Pinnock didn't make the Jets. We just saw, let, let's bring him in. Made the team, I would say, had, a, had an adequate season, right? He was a fine yeah. player. And now in training camp, you're already starting to hear the buzz. Young player, only 24 years old. Who knows, man? Who knows? Yeah, I'm excited about him. A couple other plays from Tuesday's padded practice. Trey Hawkins, we discussed earlier, but he had two pass breakups in practice, the one deep down the field. Xavier McKinney, a lot of Giants fans have said, when are we going to start to see Xavier McKinney make plays on the ball? His first year in the Wink Martindale system was a little bit different than how he was used with Patrick Graham. 
and less plays were made on the ball, but he's been making plays on the ball so far in camp. He had a pass breakup, a PBU on a contested catch attempt to Darren Waller on Tuesday, and he also had another breakup uh, in practice as well. So we're starting to see McKinney start to make plays on the ball, which I think is really impressive and important for the Giants. See, I might be misremembering. I think Xavier McKinney had a solid amount of plays on the football last year marred by the fact that he ended up missing a large chunk of the season and he didn't have any interceptions. He just didn't secure the interceptions. He needs to come away with the interceptions now. But I, I remember him having a a play against CD lamb uh, up the seam. That was really important. I think it was on a, um, I can't remember if it was third and long or, or second and long had a couple knocks down at the line of scrimmage, which is different, but he had the one play where he had the the wrist, if I remember correctly, where he almost he would have came away probably with an interception. He'd have the broken wrist. I, I can't. That was later in the season, obviously. But you're right. I, ideally, I want him to to make more plays on the football, have more ball production. But he's also being used a lot differently, as you said. He's being used around the line of scrimmage, being used as a blitzer. He's he's dropping off from the line of scrimmage to a deep coverage. It's a little bit different than just playing the post or playing the deep half like he did in Patrick Graham's defense. Ideally, though, yes, I want to see interceptions. That's what I want. Guys had six interceptions last year, Dan. That's unacceptable. Six. They were tied for last with the Raiders. They need to have more interceptions. Xavier McKinney is probably the first player that's not a cornerback that I'm going to look at and be like, why the hell aren't you getting interceptions? So for that fact, I do agree. Yeah, and that'll be something we hope will come in year two in this system. A few interesting quotes from practice. One was about, uh, both from Brian Dable, one was about um, Trey Hawkins. He said, I think he's earned it. He had a couple of good days, so we gave him an opportunity. We're going to try to do it with all positions. Every day is an evaluation, and we think, and if we think you've earned the opportunity, that's what we're going to do. So that speaks to what we were discussing earlier, Nick. They are yeah. going to give the opportunities to the players who earn them. I also felt like he said he had an interesting comment about Nick McLeod. He said, I would say he's been a very flexible player, not just here, but in Buffalo, Dable said. He's played safety. He's played the nickel. He's played corner, and he's a special teams player. So it goes again. The more you can do. It's kind of moved all around. I probably expect something similar throughout camp. He's a smart player. And to benefit when you have a guy you can move in all different spots. In my opinion, hearing that, Nick, I would say that this dude is a hundred percent locked to make the roster. Would you agree? I never really thought he wasn't going to make the right. roster. I think he's a poor man's Julian Love. Just think he needs to earn the opportunity to make the plays that Julian Love made. But he is smart. He is versatile. You saw it on the tape. He was picked up before the Green Bay game. We're like, who the hell is Mick McLeod? He gets up there and makes a PBU on Randall Cobb that ended up, I think, forcing the third and eight. I think that was the play to Fabian Moreau and Alan Lazard up the sidelines, that third and eight. But on the second and eight, it was Nick McLeod that knocked the ball away from Randall Cobb. So it started early as a New York Giant. And I didn't realize he was going to be a player that was going to work into the safety conversation in the offseason. He did. But wherever the Giants need him, Pinnock seizes that job. Now you have another player that you could put in the slot. If Darnay Holmes doesn't make the team, right. Cornell Flott doesn't seize that opportunity, gives you options. That's what it's all about. Give the coordinators options. And Nick McLeod does that for Wink Martindale. And there's certainly been a lot of movement at that slot corner position with Holmes. Yeah. Opening camp is basically the first team slot and now demoted all the way down to third team. As far as it goes right now, that will obviously be fluid. We'll keep an eye on that. One final thing I wanted to discuss. We talked earlier about how the Giants offense was sacked twice in the team drills. Um, both were on blitzes from Wink Martindale. One was Deontay Banks sack, which I thought was interesting, a corner blitz. And then the other one was Hawkins who got home on a blitz. So I think we're starting to see Wink dial up some things and practices that were a lot different than what we saw in the beginning part of training camp because the pads are on. We're getting padded practices now. And it's a lot, the, the entire feel is a lot different with the pads on. So I wouldn't be, I just keep an eye on that as fans, as we move forward, we're going to start to see some more exotic stuff from wink. And he's going to try to make it a lot more difficult for the quarterback. So hopefully Jones has the responses for it. 
in the padded practice too, we mentioned this before, went more to the defense than it did the offense. Aziz Ojolari and Dexter Lawrence also both had sacks. I'm guessing that's against Evan Neal, but I'm not 100% certain. And Dexter Lawrence was probably against either Ben Bredesen, John Michael Schmitz, or Mark Lewinsky. He could have been anybody out there because Dexter Lawrence is just a freaking monster. Yeah, he'll get you no matter who you are. All right, that's all the time we have for today on the Big Blue Banter Podcast. Keep it locked and loaded. If you enjoy the show, please, please hit the like button. Subscribe. Our YouTube page is growing, but we'd like it to grow a lot bigger than it's at. Um, we want to try to get to 5K subs at least before the start of the season. And in addition to that, please also set your podcast, wherever you listen to this, Spotify or iTunes, whatever it may be, to auto-download. Even if you need some space on your phone, download and delete. Leave us a five-star rating review there as well. That'll help us grow and get our, get get us out to more people. And that's what we want to do ultimately so we can do better things for the show. Thanks again. Keep it locked and loaded and have a great rest of your week.